We are on Yavamos Lamates Amabes 39b1 in the Art Scroll Gemara. The Gemara now discusses a topic uh, which we've hinted at in the past. Very important topic about which one has preference. Which, which one is more preferable? Yibum or Chalitza? Do we prefer to do Yibum or do we prefer to do Chalitza? And it will also discuss differences between what used to be and today, in terms of how we paskin today, what would we hold of today, uh, meaning since the times of the Gemara and on. Uh, so we'll discuss that topic in, in for the rest of the Gemara on Lama Testament base. And we'll also discuss uh, some other interesting issues as well. So let's see the Gemara. The Gemara now quotes from a Mishnah, which is found in a different tractate, and different Masechta, in Bechorus. Tanan Hasam. It says in the, in the Mishnah there, it says, Mitzvah Zibun Kodemus Mitzvah Chalitza. That in general, without taking into consideration any other factors, the Mitzvah of Yibam is preferred over the Mitzvah of Chalitza. In fact, that's, that's also how it's stated in the Torah, that a person should do Yibam. If they're not able, if they cannot do Yibam, so then they should do Chalitza. Barishon Hashem Miskavn Lashem Mitzvah. Achshav. So that's the way it used to be. It used to be that we would prefer Yibam over Chalitza. But the Gemara says that's only true uh, at first. It doesn't give an exact uh, date when things change. But at first when people had the proper intent and they did the mitzvah of Yibam really for the sake of the mitzvah, for the sake of the mitzvah itself, so then we would say uh, that, they, that Yibam takes uh, precedence uh, and is preferable. But nowadays where people, they do not have the proper intent for the mitzvah, and, but rather they do it for some ulterior motive, as we will probably see in the next recording what exactly that is. So then we say, you know what, chalitza is preferable. And this is really following the opinion that we'll see in the next recording of Abba Shaul. Abba Shaul is of the opinion that if you do not have the proper intent, so then you should do not do the mitzvah of Yibam, rather you should do the mitzvah of Chalitza. And so that's what the, that's what the Mishnah says, and that's really what we follow, um, uh, at least for Ashkenazim. Uh, but in, in essence, uh, Abishol says that we are concerned uh, that people will not have the proper intent, they'll, they'll do the mitzvah of Yibam for ulterior motives. That will, as we will see tomorrow will, in the next recording, will impact... Uh, the mitzvah itself, if you do if you do it for ulterior motives, and so therefore it's preferable to do chalitza, and that is the psak of Ashkenazim till today, is that uh, we prefer chalitza over yibam, and for svardim, uh, there is there's more of a discussion when it comes to svardim. There are svardim who are of the opinion that uh, that yibam uh, is preferable, uh, but that is that is a big discussion amongst svardim. Rav now comes along and says a very interesting statement. Amar Rav ain kofin. We do not force them. Rav says we do not force them to do chalitza. Even today we do not force them to do chalitza. And this also was a discussion uh, that we've had in the past on Daf Dalid. Uh, what does it mean that we don't force them to do chalitza? What are we discussing here? So we will explain this based on uh, the understanding of Rashi. There are others who disagree in terms of how to read this line. Uh, but Rashi understands as follows. He says, in Kofin means as follows. He says, if nowadays, where a person needs the proper intent, if anybody, if either the the brother-in-law or the sister-in-law, either one of them, they are not uh, in, 
interested in doing Yibam. They do not want to do Yibam. They have some reason why they don't want to do Yibam with their brother-in-law or their sister-in-law. So then we say, okay, no Yibam. And we, we make them do Chalitza. We would force them to do Chalitza. This statement of Rav to say that we do not force them to do, we will not force them to do Chalitza is only in a case where they both want to do Yibam, which is a very important idea. So the only time uh, that we will actually say that uh, we, we allow them to do Yibam is when they both want to do Yibam. If either one does not want to do Yibam, they have some sort of reason why they don't want to do Yibam, so then uh, we will say that they should do Chalitza. But if both want to do Yibam, so we will not force them nowadays. Even though nowadays we are concerned that people are doing it with the, with the wrong intentions, with ulterior motives, still, if they both want to do Yibam, we will let them uh, do we will let them do Yibam. Um, and we won't force them to do Chalitza. If one of them doesn't want to do Yibam, then we will force them to do Chalitza. But if both of them want to do Yibam, uh, we will let them do Yibam. Why would we let them do Yibam if we're concerned that they're not having the proper intent? So perhaps uh, we'll suggest uh, two potential reasons. One reason could be that if they both want to do Yibam, so then there's a higher likelihood that they're both having the proper intent. They're both having the proper intent and they both want to do it. And so therefore... There is the proper intent. That's one explanation that is given. Another explanation that's given is that perhaps you don't need proper intent. The only time you need proper intent is if not everybody wants to do Yibam. But if everybody really wants to do Yibam, so then we do not need proper intent. It's really a different scenario here. They both want to get married. Once they both want to get married, it's no longer required to have the proper intent for the mitzvah of Yibam because they both want to get married uh, anyways, either way, it's a very important idea of Rav that, uh, according to Rashi, that if either one, either the brother-in-law or the sister-in-law, are n- do not want to do Yibam, so then we will force them to do Chalitza. Uh, the only time that we will not force them to do Chalitza is if both of them want uh, to do Yibam. This concept of forcing is also uh, an interesting idea, that we will force them to do Chalitza. Let's say if one of them wants to do, doesn't want to do Yibam, we will force them to do chalitza, the concept of forcing in a halacha uh, requires much greater analysis, uh, but there is a concept of forcing people with regards to doing mitzvahs. In this context, perhaps it's not just about the mitzvah, but it could be about the completion of the kinyan. We know that there's a zika, there is some sort of bond, so we have to force them to either do chalitza and uh, to get rid of that bond, or or to do yibam, uh, or perhaps the reason for kfiya here, the reason to force is because um, it is removing her from a state of being an aguna, of not being able to marry, because until she does yibam or chalitza, she's not allowed to marry anybody. She could either do yibam with her brother-in-law, or or she has to do chalitza in order to marry anybody that she wants. Uh, so therefore, perhaps the forcing is specifically within this context of making sure that she's able to marry somebody. Uh, so again, this concept of forcing in, in halacha, it does apply in different contexts for mitzvos. Uh, and to, to potentially to to be to allow her to marry somebody, uh, so therefore we will force them to do chalitza. So there is this concept of forcing them uh, to do this to do this mitzvah of chalitza. How exactly do they force them is also a, a discussion. Is it just through words? Is it through action uh, to make sure that they do the mitzvah of chalitza? That itself is also a discussion. But Rav says ain kofen. We do not force them. Meaning we really do force them. If one of them doesn't want to do yibam, we really do force them. The only time that we don't force them to do chalitza is if they both want to do yibam. Even though nowadays we're concerned that they might not have the proper intent, since they both want to do yibam, we will say, go ahead, do yibam. We do not force them to do 
Chalitza. The Gemara adds as follows. Uh, the Gemara says, after Rav said the statement, they have the following story. There was a Yavaman and Yavama, a brother-in-law and sister-in-law, who were in a situation of, of potential Yibam. Um, and they came in front of Rav, and, they, and he would say to them, he said as follows, If you want to do Chalitza, do Chalitza. Do Yibam. If you want to do Yibam, do Yibam. It's up to you. It's up to you. If both of you want to do Yibam, Go do Yibam, because the Pasuk says, Ben lo yachvot sa'ish ha'im chavetz, yibay chalitz, yibay miyabim. Yibabim. That Rav is of the opinion that even nowadays, where we follow the position of Abishal, that a person needs to have the proper intent, uh, but if they both want to do Yibam, so then they both could do Yibam. If one of them wants to, to do chalitza, and doesn't want to do Yibam, uh, so then we will say that you would have to do chalitza. And again, this is how we paskin uh Sorry, nowadays, we actually, we follow the position, uh, not like this, even if they want to do Yibam nowadays, we say that they have to do Chalitza. But the opinion of Rav uh, was that uh, if they both want to do Yibam, we let them do Yibam. We do not follow that position. We follow the position that even if they want to do Yibam, we say that they should do uh, that they should do Chalitza. We require Chalitza really now uh, all the time. The Gemara adds as follows, V'afr Yehuda Savar. Rav Yehuda also follows his opinion in Kofin, that we do not force them to do Chalitza. If they both want to do Yibam, so then we do not force them to do Chalitza. What's the proof of Rav Yehuda? Because we could see the proof of Rav Yehuda based on his language that he would write after they did Chalitza. We've never discussed really the process for Chalitza. And we will see the process for Chalitza uh, and ex- try to give an explanation for it later on, much later in the Masechta, in the Tractate. Uh, but after they did a chalitza, they would write a document, a, a document of proof, um, a document of proof um, that that uh, that they did a chalitza. But this is what he would write in it, and from from what the language that was used, it's clear that review to holds that we don't force them to do chalitza. If they both want to do yibum, so then we'll let them do yibum. Echplonis basploni, how there was a certain the, the language that's used in the document. This is what review uses in the document to prove that they did a chalitza. How this daughter of so and so. Ekravis has plony Yavama, Kadama Lebedina, brought so and so. She brought her brother in law in front of us to court. And we recognized, we'll see exactly what does it mean to recognize, but we recognized that it was the brother in law. We knew that it was the brother in law. And we said to him, It's obviously Abim Yabim. If you want to do Yibim, do Yibim. Even nowadays, if you want to do Yibim, even though we're concerned about the proper intent, if you want to do Yibam, do Yibam, but if not, if you don't want to do Yibam, so then this is the process of Chalitza. Again, this is a, a bit of a strange process uh, which requires more analysis and more of an understanding, but the process of Chalitza is not like a regular divorce document. Essentially, uh, the, the brother-in-law has to bring his right foot to her and 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 the Yavam uh, the brother-in-law extended her right foot after we told him to. And she removes his shoe from his foot. So he removes his shoe. And then she spits on the floor. Uh, that is part of the process of Chalitza. Um, and uh, as we go on, we will try to give more of an explanation for this idea as we go through the Mesechta. It is a, it is a bit of a strange process to take off the shoe and then to spit. And Rabbi Chia Bar Avia, Misayim Bar Mishmei to Rabbi Yehuda, Va'akrinim Adachsev B'Sifra Rais to Demoshe. They also say, according to some, 
there's someone would conclude, or Ava would conclude, that uh, we would say we, we cause them, we, we include in the document that they had to say certain psukim, certain verses, which the Torah itself says that this is what they should say, the Yavim and the Yavama, they should have, make certain statements. Uh, and that's also included in this document as well. But the point is, the main point of bringing down the language of this document is really to show how Rav Yehuda says that in court, in court, in front of the Beisden, we really give them the option to do Yibam, even though it's nowadays where we, we question their intent, but we still we give them the option to do Yibam. We do not force them to always do Chalitza. So we do give them the option to do Yibam. If they don't want to do Yibam, so then they could go ahead and they could do uh, Chalitza. Um, okay, one last line in the Gemara, and then we will conclude this recording. Uh, the Gemara comments on the language of of the document for Chalitza, and it says, Ishtamudinhu, we recognize that he is the brother-in-law. What does it mean that we recognize that he's the brother-in-law? Do we actually need witnesses? What exactly do we need? So this is a dispute. Pligibar of Achav Ravina. This is a dispute between Rav Achav and Ravina. One opinion, there's a dispute here between Ravach and Ravina. One opinion says that, no, we need, we need actual witnesses. Just like we need witnesses in general, this is, we need witnesses that he's the brother-in-law to make sure that this is actually proper chalitza between a sister-in-law and a brother-in-law. And we need witnesses, just like we need, we need witnesses for all davrisha be'erva, for all issues dealing with uh, marriage and divorce. Uh, so, so too over here with regards to chalitza, we need witnesses to say that this is really the brother-in-law and that's the sister-in-law. The other opinion says, no, we do not need actual witnesses. We just need even one witness would suffice, even though in general we need two. Just have one, even if it's a relative, uh, even if it's a woman who in general cannot testify. It could be really anybody, and we just need one witness to pro- to show us uh, that this is really the brother-in-law. That's the law. In fact, the law is that it's just a gili milsa. It's about revealing the facts. We do not require witnesses. We just need one person, even if it's a relative, even if it's a woman, who in general cannot testify. Uh, they could they could testify in this case. And the Rambam explains. The Rambam explains that the idea here is that this is what we refer to as the Milsa Davudi Ligluye. That this is something which uh, everyone knows about. It's going to end up coming out, whether this is the brother-in-law or the sister-in-law. They'll eventually find out. So with regards to, to, uh, to, to issues about finding something out, which will... Eventually, someone, everyone knows about this. Everyone, you know, it's, it's eventually going to come out whether or not this is the bro- this is the brother-in-law and the sister-in-law. It's just too open, too out there. So that in such cases, we do not require uh, formal witnesses. We just uh, it's called milsa davud eligulie. It will be revealed, uh, and so therefore we just require one witness. And it's not really even like a witness. It's uh, it could be it doesn't have the regular laws of a witness. Really, anybody can testify. Uh, because we just it's just telling us the facts, facts which we are going to find out anyways, but it's just telling us about it earlier. And so therefore, in terms of proving who the brother-in-law is, we do not require two witnesses. That's the law. It was a dispute, but the law is that we do not require two witnesses. We could rely on just one person, and it is not your normal form of testimony. Okay, that concludes uh, this Gemara, and we'll continue this discussion in the next recording.